tonight about my, my past, where I'm going, what I'm doing. I mean, y'all are a large part of this, um, so I, I want to I share. So I'll start right from the beginning. I grew up Southern Baptist, so I mean, it was like out of the womb into the church. That's the way that, that's the way that works. You go Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night visitation, <laughs> just in case you don't get enough on Sunday morning or Sunday night. I moved into junior high and high school. I already liked music, but I felt a different tug, if you will. It wasn't just singing in the choir. There was something saying, you know, this, there's more to this. There's more that you can do. I liked the music director, so maybe it was, I thought maybe it was just a waving of the arms. That was kind of fun for me. But there was something there that kind of generated a desire to do more than just sing in the choir. I got to high school, and for those of you that understand the Baptist tradition, you know, if you change churches, you move your letters. Well, I had started going, we went to a very small church. I started going to the big first Baptist church in Sulphur, and I decided to move my letter without my mother's permission. That was real interesting. Nice conversation, especially since she found out the week after I did it from the preacher on a canoe trip that we all went on. He said, see, you left us. I said, I hadn't told my parents yet, so it was real, real fun for that day. But again, I got involved in a bigger church, bigger youth ministry. There was, we had a little orchestra. We had a handbell choir. So it was more than the little church I had could offer. And it kind of fueled that fire. I went to college up in North Louisiana. I went away from home. Not very far, because I had family there. It made my mother happy. But I went away from home. And I started, I was going to be a lawyer. That's, I talk a lot, so I could be a lawyer. First semester went through. That was okay. Second semester is not, not what I'm going to do. There was a tug. There was a pull. So I changed my major, again, to make my parents extremely happy, to music ed. Um, jumped into that, had a, enjoyed the choir, played, was in the marching band. That call still was there. I went to a big church, big music program. Then a little church called and said, hey, we need a part-time music director. Would you be willing to come do it? And I don't ever say no to anything just about, so I said, sure, I'll come do that. And that was kind of, for me, a start of something on a much grander scale, if you will, than, than, than just me. I served that little bitty church until literally it, it disbanded. I mean, it was about 15 people. The average age was 104. And, and I mean, they were, and, and they, just, they just disbanded. They, they could not operate. And they came to that conclusion. It was tough with the pastor and myself and, and the small group. It was tough to disband that little group of folks. They had been together, some of them for 40 years, but they just couldn't survive. So that was tough to, to walk through that, watch these people, these friendships, and find another church and the, and the whole shooting match. I got called to another church as, as an interim minister of music, if you will, for lack of a better word. Much larger co congregation, uh, had two choirs, children's choirs, handbell choirs. It was a nice congregation, but it was interim. As that came to an end, I got invited by our organ teacher at, at the college I went to to come sing in the choir at Grace Church Monroe. And I said, all right, I'm not doing anything exciting. It'll be different. I'll go. It was almost undescribable for me what happened when I walked into my first service. I mean, from, from the moment the service started, we got to the, to the choir sang that day, the Mozart, Gloria, and C. I'll never forget it long as I live. It was one of the most unique things I had ever done in church because we didn't sing that kind of music in the Baptist church. It was Victory in Jesus. Hymn number 177 was like the big number one hymn. Did Mozart. The bells, the whistles, I was hooked. I mean, I was, I was pulled in and hooked. Spent six months as a paid singer. Then I figured out that I needed to do more. So I went and made an appointment with the priest. I said, you know, I, I can't have you pay me to come to church anymore. So I told him, take the money they're going to pay me and put it towards something else, mission, whatever. But I, I couldn't take the money anymore because there was something, something happening. 
And I see he and I had continued conversations, and I, and I, I said, you know, I said, my call initially was music. I said, I think I'm called to, to what you do. And he said, okay. He said, let's have some more conversation. Well, that went on for about two months, and then I finished my master's degree, and I moved back to South Louisiana. Lost that, changed churches. So I had been converted from Baptist to Episcopal. My mother still, to this day, thinks I'm a missionary to the Episcopal Church. It's been, 20, <laughs> it's been 28 years, so she still thinks that. But I moved back to South Louisiana to teach in 1990. And I didn't get to pick my own church, because my, my priest in Monroe said, you're going to go to church here. I said, all right. I didn't know any different. I didn't know any Episcopal churches back down home. So I went to Good Shepherd Lake Charles, met a wonderful man. Uh, John Lipscomb was the uh, rector at the time. Uh, six months after I got there, maybe four months after I got there, this little war thing happened over overseas, the first conflict under George Bush I. He was a chaplain in the uh, reserves. He got called up into the reserves. So John was gone for eight months. We had interim after interim after interim. That conversation never got anywhere. Started EFM here. It was a great experience. The job I was in changed, and I'm moving to Lafayette a year and a half later. So John literally sends a letter to me or, or, or communication. says, you're going to go to church here in Lafayette. Still didn't get to pick my own church. know what this was, so I went there. Spent some time there. This is where I met Sean Michael, my son's mother. Um, Life really got weird after that. Um, in and out of the church, my, my job at that, at that point in time, before I got into HR, um, I had left the pipe organ world and gone into uh, restaurant management. So I worked on Sundays. So that kind of just negated anything I was going to do at church on Sundays. Then life happens. I had a son. Sean Michael was born. You know, try to take him to church. Sean didn't like to go. Um, so for about 15 years, I waffled in and out, in and out, you know, we were probably less regular than more regular, if you will. But it never changed the fact that I thought there was something greater and something grander that I needed to do. Well, we, we decided we didn't like each other anymore, which I'm not sure we ever did, but that's a different tale for a different day. So we ended up getting a divorce. Not the happiest moment of my life. Um, real tough to explain that to my good Southern Baptist mother. It was just something that was not common in our family, so it was kind of weird. Job change. I had, I had been laid off, and I needed to go find a job, so Walmart calls me. said, we're going to offer you a job. We're going to move you to Midland, Texas. Now, I have lived my whole entire life in South Louisiana. Lake Charles, Lafayette. I'm used to things that are green. I'm used to water and trees. So, I, you know, I, I'm not working. I'll take the job. Fly out to Midland. They flew me in under cover of night because they wanted to make sure I at least stayed for a day. My plane landed at 945 on a, on a, on a Sunday night. And I had to start the next week looking for a place to live. And then I woke up the next morning, got in the car, and I figured out why they flew me in overnight. That's the flattest place I've ever been in my entire life. I think I could see Los Angeles on a good day. So I got there, walked into the office for the first time, introduced myself to the, to the district staff. And one of the guys, first words out of his mouth was, where do you go to church? And I said, well, I've been here 35 minutes. I haven't gone anywhere. He said, I'm an Episcopalian. I go to St. Nicholas up here. He said, would you like to come join us? I said, you know, I can do that. To this day, he's still one of my best friends, 10 years. Um, started year two of EFM, 14 years later. After I did year one, I took year two. So got more active, got more involved. Then you get this phone call. About 16 months in, it's from my son, who at that time was five, six. He said, hey, Dad, it's Sean Michael. Do you remember me? 
I'm 850 miles away. Called my boss the next day. I said, you've got six months or six weeks to find me a spot closer to South Louisiana. The position I was in was brand new. They'd hired 400 of us across the country. Nobody was leaving. So I put my name back out, out in the world, got a job back in Louisiana 16 months later. Again, all of these calls, all of this time, I'm just getting into a church, about to get my feet wet, then I jerk up and leave. So it's not conducive to doing anything the normal path, the normal route. Got to Lafayette, was great, ended up in Baton Rouge. A few years later, finally I'm at a church longer than 35 minutes. I spent four years, five years at Trinity, wasn't it? Five years at Trinity. Met Natalie, we got married. So life is somewhat normal. Started the conversation with the first rector. He left a month later. We had an interim for six months, got a new rector. They fired him after a year, got another interim. And then we got another rector, and then I was moving to Houston. So the only thing I can say that's good with me is whatever church I go to, the rector's going to leave. It's just going to be a fact. <laughs> the one in Midland left a year after I got there. So I mean, I just run priests off. Careful. So that's why he's getting rid of me. But the last thing, I figured by that point in time, and I'm now pushing, I'm in my 40s, full-time seminary is not going to be a deal for me. I know that. I'm not going to get to go. I couldn't get a meeting with the bishop of the Diocese of Louisiana to save my life. If Morris Thompson, good man, but if you're not having lunch with him on a regular basis, if you don't know somebody that knows him, you don't get the time of day in his diocese. So, and the funny thing was, is two of my former priests had already become bishops, and I still couldn't get a hold of these guys and get stuff going on. Father John and, and then um, Father Hargrove. So, I said, the call's still there, what do I do? You know, I look for other options, look for other routes. Natalie finishes her master's degree in June of 13. 14, 13, 14. One of those. And I'm already looking to leave the job I've got because they're irritating. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to interview for this job. It's a good gig. So she finishes her master's degree and about two weeks later gets a phone call. She's got this great job offer. It's one that we could not turn down. 30 days later, she's packing a box moving to Houston. My first day on the job with my corporate office here in Houston, my boss is going, you know, I hired you to work out of Baton Rouge. We need you to run that area. He said, but I think I'm going to need to move you to Houston at some point. We're going to consolidate all of HR here in, in Houston. I said, well, let me tell you what happened last Friday, because that's when she accepted her job. So he said, put your house up for sale when you're ready to move, move. Beautiful. That worked. One thing that's worked in the last five years. So I got to find a church. So first thing I did was I go to Google. I mean, that's, isn't that what we normally do when you look for a church? You go to Google. Found the Diocese of Texas. I didn't really know what diocese we were in. And got to the Epicenter webpage, the Diocese webpage. I don't know how I did this, I don't know how it happened, and it's not happened since. The first page I opened on the Diocesan webpage was the Iona School. I can't find it now if I go to the website to look for it. And if you, if you, if you go try it, I, there's no button for it. I open that, first thing comes up is the Iona School. Before I even found a church. We visited a few churches, then we came here. Because again, we were just, she was living in League City, we, we went to St. Christopher, we went to some other places. First Sunday that we're here, we met, um, Father Ken was here, made us feel completely at home. As we're leaving, I, I met another gentleman outside the door that shook my hand, and, and he's no longer with us, Chris Cookson. I, I felt like I had been here my whole life. Uh, and that was a Sunday, so we had lunch, packing up, I got to go back home to Baton Rouge. Three quarters of the way home, my phone rings, and it was Chris. I guess I had given him my phone number or written it down on something, maybe a card. 
He said, hey, he said, I'm glad to meet you today. I, I thought it was, was great having you guys here. He said, look, he said, I know you're living in Baton Rouge and she's living in Houston. Give her my phone number or my wife's number. If she needs anything or runs into trouble, pick up the phone and call us and, and we'll do what we can to help out. He didn't push me to come to church. He didn't push me to, to, to make a pledge. He just said, if we can help, we will. So that was great. So the next thing I did was reach out to Father Ken, talk about Iona, and that led me to conversations with him. We were just about to call Father Mike. He said, give him a few days to get acclimated. So I gave him a few weeks, and then I attacked him when he got here. So that's kind of my history to, from a long, long time ago to today. I mean, I'll be 50 next month, so I mean, that's kind of give you an idea of how many years that's been. I want to talk a little bit about the discernment process normal. Um, first thing you would normally do is meet with your rector or your bishop, have a conversation. Then they form a discernment committee, which is a bunch of great folks that help you figure out what you're going to do and to make sure that you understand what you're doing. That can take three months. That can take over a year. It, it just depends on the process, how you're moving, how you're feeling, and how you're doing. Once you're through that, the committee recommends you or does not recommend you back to the rector, and they go to the commission on ministry. Then you've got to meet with that bunch of group of folks. Sit in a big empty room. You're on a sofa. They're in a chair. They're grilling you for half an hour. It's great. I recommend it to everybody. <laughs> Once you get through that, it goes to the bishop. Then the bishop approves. Then you've got to start picking a school, seminary. You've got to go to school, graduate. You get ordained. The next thing you know, you're a deacon. All of this just travels multiple quickly. We're doing things a little different here in our diocese now. And, and I, I kind of got in the, on the front end of this. And as Bishop Harrison said, she said, we're going to build the airplane as we fly it. So she was kind of putting this together as we're moving along. You still got to go talk to your rector. But now you get to go to a discovery weekend. Nick and I and Josh all went together uh, a year ago in January. And it's just a, a, a nice weekend to kind of help focus your energies and focus your mind on the task at hand. Is this really where you're going to call it? Is this the path that you need to walk? And it helps you kind of think about what the future holds. For me, I was in a little bit more of a hurry. They were a little bit slower. I mean, that's for some folks that, that may have gone last year that still haven't decided what they're going to do. I was ready for the now. It's been 27 years now. Let's get this show on the road because I'm not getting any younger. They go to the, after the discovery retreat, they formed out a regional discernment committee. Now, Ken and uh, Ann served on my committee, and they were just delightful to be with. And we scrambled through five meetings, six meetings, and we squeezed that in, uh, what, five weeks? We, we, we went through it the, the, uh, the ultra-quick way because I don't do anything normally at all. So once you get to the discernment committee, they recommend you back to the vestry, and to the, to the uh, Commission on Ministry, that's the same, to the bishop, and then you have to choose the academic track. Uh, you can go full-time seminary, which means you pack up and move to wherever for three years, or you can go to the Iona School and become bivocational. We'll talk about that in a little bit. A little history about Iona. Bishop Wimberly started this because <clears throat> he saw a need in this diocese for smaller churches to be able to have clergy. Supply priests weren't plentiful enough. Some of these smaller churches with 10, 15, 20 people couldn't afford even a part-time priest. So he, did, he had to have a plan, and he wanted to grow their own ordained ministry for this diocese. First classes happened in fall of 04, and it's a three-year program. So why do we need this? Priests, just said, we, we don't have enough priests to fill all the spots in our diocese, smaller churches. We seem to have the no issue finding them for St. Martin's. They've got 14, so they're not really kind of trying to share. But these smaller churches, and, and I, we got a listing yesterday 
of a lot of the small churches. I mean, there's a ton of them in our diocese. I, I was really surprised at the number. It's also a chance to form deacons for service in our diocese, and there's a lay need. I'm going to skip all of that fun stuff. We meet one weekend a month for 10 months out of the year. And we get there on a Friday, and we start at 5 o'clock with evening prayer. And we end our first day at, what, 8.30 with Compton. We have evening prayer, dinner, then we do class for two hours. Then we try to go rest for the next day. Saturday starts at 7 with centered prayer, and we finish at 8.30 again. And there's nary a moment of time to stop and breathe. I mean, Nick can, can attest. Morning prayer, breakfast, three hours of core theological class, which our first semester we covered the entire New Testament. We're just now starting the um, Old Testament. Now we're starting the New Testament. Two hours after lunch, study for an hour, take a test, then boogie over to evening prayer, dinner, class for two more hours, then we go to sleep. That's Saturday. And Sunday starts at 8 and we get out at 1. So it's, like I said, never a moment goes by that we don't have anything that we have to do. And to give you an idea of some of the stuff that we'll end up doing, and I picked our worst week in the November class session, we had three weeks between classes because they're not on a regular schedule. It's when they can book the rooms and when, when space is available. So November to December was three weeks. We had 16, no, 13 books of the Bible to read all the prophets, plus six chapters in the, in the text to read and digest, answer the questions, and then try to remember some of that when you get to school. And I'm not even sure I can name the prophets anymore because we've already passed all of that. I mean, it's, you, you add that on top of your regular work routine if you're working, um, if you're planning a service that week, if, because each week we plan services, you preach, two hours a day of study, eight to 10 hours a day of work, you discover quickly that there's some time you sleep. That's just non-productive time. We need to re rework that until we can put more hours in the day. So some of the curriculum, some of the classes that we take, um, Old Testament, New Testament, this year, we do homiletics. We've done a Church and Race, which is an outstanding program by um, Aisha. I forget her name. She was wonderful. I mean, she, could, she kept us I mean, on spot for two hours. It was great. Missional Ministry, theology, uh, History and Theology of the Prayer Book, um, Rule of Life, Introduction to the Eucharist. That's all this year. There's two more years to go. So we got a lot of stuff to cover in all of our groups. So what's the difference besides the, uh, the time for traditional seminary and Iona School? Traditional seminary is three years of residency at a college, Southwest in Austin, General in New York, Sewanee up in Tennessee, and there's a bunch of others eight or nine others. They want to build community within the students, and that's the whole reason for the, for the on-ground seminary. You graduate, you get your MDiv or equivalent. Um, they, most schools still take the general ordination exam, the GOEs. You're ordained to the diaconate as a transitional deacon. Six to 12 months later, you're ordained a priest. Iona is a little different. It is still three years. One weekend a month for 10 months out of the year. Still allows some building of community. I mean, I, I find myself more so looking forward to the Iona weekends to hang out with the folks and, and spend time in that faith community. But we'll pass, we'll graduate, and we have examining chaplains that come to give us some kind of a, a quiz or exam, they tell us. Then we're ordained to the transitional diaconate, and then six to 12 months later to the uh, priesthood. What's the difference between what full-time priests will do and I'll do as a bivocational priest? Full-time priest is... 
serves the church as a director full-time. That's their job. It's like Father Mike does. Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 8 a.m., 24 hours a day. That's his job. They're called to a parish. And I was doing some research, because I was kind of curious as to fees. It says the average seminary student right now graduates about $31,000, $32,000 in debt. Oops, not very good. Bivocational priest, which is what I will become. I might own a school train, so I'm not going to a full-time seminary. I still continue my daily job as an HR manager. So I work Monday through Friday, 7 to 5, 7 to 6, whatever that normal thing is. Then I do the other full-time job after that which they say is part-time, but we got to set some rules, and I can see that coming. Um, we are assigned a parish by the bishop. We're not called. So the bishop will say, I need you to go to Matagora or to Freeport or to wherever, and that's where I get to go. The beautiful part is, is I don't get paid. It's all volunteer. We are non-stipendary as a bivocational priest. So I'm, I'm duly licensed to do all of the sacraments in the church at that point in time. I will be a regular, normal, black shirt, white collar wearing priest. I just don't get paid. Here's the good part. Our school is only 2,400 bucks a year, so I like that. The diocese does supplement some of our needs, but it's not as expensive. Real quickly, um, the other programs that are there, there's the, the, deacon, the diaconate program. And I, not many folks understand what a deacon is, and as I sat here writing this, I'm not really sure I understood what a deacon was, so I did a little homework. Um, they're servants of Christ working especially with outreach, minist outreach ministries in their congregations. They work with the priest pastorally, they do a lot of outreach, and they probably do some administrative duties in the church. They uh, generally read the gospel um, and, and assist at the altar during the liturgy and during the mass. That's all the, the privilege that they get. And we have two types of deacons. There's the permanent deacon, the ones that go into the diaconate to be a servant, to be a deacon. Uh, Non-stipendary, again, there's no pay for that. The second one's a transitional deacon, which would be myself, is six, eight, nine, ten, twelve months, then you're ordained into the priesthood. I have asked Nick Rowe to help out, because Nick is in the lay program, and I know he's got some stuff I wanted him to share about what his particular ministry is going to be, and some stuff, so I'm going to shut up and give it to Nick for a few minutes. Well, I don't have it memorized. I got it on, on this sheet of paper. So, um, at least notes. Um, well, let me begin by saying um, at least uh, not much biographical stuff, but just simply say I'm a cradle Episcopalian. I have worshipped in Episcopal communities from North Carolina to Virginia to Eastern North Carolina to Washington, D.C., to Ohio, to Oregon, and round about and back again. Uh, but I've been here, uh, or I should say maybe we've been here, for uh, close to a quarter of a century, which is a long time for us. It's about three, probably several times longer than we've been anywhere else. <clears throat> this began my... Uh, search or, or journey in this area began um, as retirement began to loom. And uh, I said, gee, I want to do something else. I feel called to do something more uh, to serve Christ in this world. Um, and so I heard about Iona uh, from Josh and from other, some other people I know who are close to it. 
Iona's been in business for about 14 years, but <clears throat> this is the first year that they have offered a lay program. Actually, they're offering three different lay programs. One begins, one is a one-year program, one's a, a one-and-a-half-year program, and I'm in the three-year program. And I think it was really about the lay program that Bishop Harrison was speaking. We're building the airplane as we fly it because we are, in fact, exploring what it means to be a lay, um, in a lay track at Iona. But the reason that the diocese is looking at, at this is because the diocese and uh, Bishop Doyle are very convinced that we need a more focused and a more uh, purposed and, um, and more prepared lay ministry. And that the lay ministry is become, needs to become more important in this diocese. And the bishop is working for us. So, uh, and working towards this. Now the program, at least this year, uh, I looked it up and we've got, uh, there are about 50 sections, we'll call it, in the uh, Iona program. 48 of them are the same for the lay as for the, the preordained group. <clears throat> we got all the same ones on race, on, on um, uh, giving homilies. We've had, what, four sections on, on uh, giving homilies, uh, preparing homilies. Uh, we do the same things on the history and uh, the prayer book and so on. Uh, we even have the same responsibilities uh, in leading worship I add on at Iona. As, as Mike mentioned, we've got, uh, we do several services through the weekend. And one of the things that, that uh, last month Mike did uh, evening prayer and presented evening prayer, organized evening prayer service and presented a homily, which the faculty sat down with him afterwards and sort of didn't exactly grade it, but uh, at least offered their comments. Um, <laughs> conversation. Um, through the curse of the alphabet, Mine it won't be until May, but I'll be doing exactly the same thing. The alphabet curse, uh, R's come after B's. Uh, <clears throat> I've had to deal with that my whole life. Uh, well, what are some of the lay ministries that are available? And these are things that are licensed by the bishop and the bishop is, is, uh, uh, is trying to work on. One of them is a pastoral leader, and pastoral leaders are people who can actually uh, do pastoral service and uh, administrative work at a small parish uh, in the event they need some someone. Uh, for example, one of these small parishes doesn't have a priest for a while, or uh, then somebody trained as a pastoral leader can do that. Um, we can also be trained as worship leaders and lead morning and evening prayer. And one of the things I'm hoping to be able to do is soon to start a morning or an evening prayer here at this church on a regular basis. Um, you can become a lay preacher and be trained to become a lay preacher. Uh, so at some point, if Mike is willing, uh, you may have to put up with one of my sermons on a Sunday morning. Who knows? Um, uh, you can be a Eucharistic minister. Eucharistic ministers are doing much the same thing that the vergers and lay Eucharistic ministers do here, but um, perhaps with better training. A catechist is someone who trains people or, or in preparation for baptism, for uh, confirmation, for reception, that's when, when somebody from another 
faith comes, uh, another denomination wants to become an Episcopalian for reaffirmation of, of your baptismal vows. And this is when someone is starting a new faith program and uh, wants to work more and be called, and feels a call to do more in their, uh, their um, Christian formation opportunities. There are a lot of them. Look at the IANA website, it keeps changing. Sometimes it gets better, sometimes it doesn't. Um, another thing is, is pastoral support. And so it, we're blessed. We have uh, Mike and Josh who are, are very competent in that, but in the event that uh, as our church grows, we need some more support and pastoral support. Um, I, I will be trained to be able to do that. Um, I can also be loaned out to various and sundry parishes, smaller churches that may need someone in one, in one of these categories. But the thing that's beginning to speak to me more and more is evangelism, believe it or not. A cradle Episcopalian talking about the E word. Uh, in any event, uh, I'm hearing it. And, and to, to explain this, I need to go back to Bishop Doyle's vision. And this is not a vision for, for me. It's not a vision for the folks who wear funny collars um, it's, uh, and, and black shirts. It's for all of us. All baptized Christians are called to be evangelists. And uh, what Bishop Doyle's vision is that we, the church, need to look beyond the walls of our, of our church and start going out and meeting the people out there who don't think about coming to church, who wouldn't come to church if you paid them. Uh, and uh, we need to seek those people in, the, uh, those people in our community uh, who don't even think of church and present Christ in a world that's apathetic or even antipathetic hostile to Christianity. And there are groups that are like this. So we are called to, be, to move from being disciples, people who listen and learn, to being apostles, people who go forth into the community to spread the good news. And uh, so in that way, we're kind of like the first apostles sent out into the world. And that's not, again, just the guys who are wearing the funny collars, but all of us. Well, uh, What's next vision in all this? Well, next vision um, is in addition to supporting this parish of St. Thomas, we've been here for a quarter of a century, and that's a long time, uh, at least for us. It's several times the length of time we've been in any church. Um, Gail and I have wandered about a bit in, in search of a John. But we want to support this parish and continue to be a part of it. Um, but in addition to that, I'm hoping and thinking that I'm called to combine my Iona training with my scientific training. I, as I retired uh, earlier this year, I realized that I had been, it had been more than 50 years, half a century, since I earned my first dollar working in chemistry, in a chemistry laboratory. That's a long time. And I've been paying attention to science and how science works. And so what I'm hoping to do is to address with that background, that part of the world that says, uh, we don't need church. Science has disproved the existence of God and therefore I don't need to pay any attention to church. And there are plenty of those out there. Believe it or not, there are even what I call uh, militant or evangelical atheists. 
And this is a group that not only believes that science has disproved the existence of God, but uh, believes that religion in all of its forms is a parasitic worm eating into society and that it needs to be destroyed and rooted out. And there are actually um, organizations who are funded with the purpose of eliminating uh, religion from the world because they believe it is, is so harmful. Um, and I think that we have set up a lot of false dichotomies in this world. Um, we have said that there is a difference between faith and reason, or science, and uh, religion and faith and reason, science and, and religion, that these things uh, are incompatible. This is an idea that's just grown up in the last century. Darwin was an ordained Episcopal priest, Anglican. Uh, uh, Newton was also ordained, and he had mentioned in his great book, the Principia mentions God more often than he mentions gravity. Um, and yet people ignore this and forget it. And so I hope to change that. Uh, so with your support and your prayers and the grace of God, I hope to be able to confront these issues in the world. I'm not quite sure what that's going to look like when I get out of it, but I can see... Uh, going to some of the universities and community colleges around here and presenting some thoughts and uh, engaging people. I'm not going to bring them, tell them, you know, bring them into the church here. I, that's, that's not quite what I'm ready to do. I'll try. I, you know, I won't, won't turn anyone away. But at least to plant a seed and say, hey, you can't assume what you've been assuming. This is a world picture. You get it in the media and everywhere else these days that um, the church is evil and wrong or wishy-washy at best. Look at uh, Father Mulcahy in the MASH series. So I'm hoping to change this. Um, if something I've said in this resonates with you, um, remember there are different programs in Iona uh, one of them's a, uh, for the laity, one's a one-year program, a one-and-a-half-year program, three-year programs. Uh, all of them have something to learn from and to grow in. And so I, uh, I'll be happy to talk with you about any of those lay opportunities. Unless somebody's got some questions. I mean, just, and, and I'll shut it down with that. Um, I got my listing yesterday of the churches I'm supposed to visit over the next three months. Um, there's, I've, I've got one weekend a month of school, probably two weekends a month of visiting, one weekend a month here, just to be unfortunately honest. Um, I'm transitioning out of the ministries that I'm a part of here. Um, lay reader, uh, Lim, uh, Verger. Um, I'll be resigning from the vestry, unfortunately. I, I, I'm actually not considered a parishioner anymore. When I was made a postulant, I actually report to the bishop. I'm under his authority, so that's coming. In May, I'll get my, my first assignment. It'll, it'll be a two-year assignment. It will not be the church I end up in. 
it'll be a, a safe place. There, this is brand new. They, they used to put you in the church. You're going to be in just, just leave, I guess, leave you for dead. But they put you in out here. It's a safe place to practice and make mistakes. Um, after that two years, it'll be the third year of Iona, or, ordained, and I'll be put into a parish of my own, in theory. It may not be an opening. I may be partnered up with somebody, and I keep my fingers crossed I'll stick me back over here. You have to put up with me for a couple of years. That'd be awesome. But that's kind of what's happening. Um, then six, 12 months after that, the diaconate ordination will be ordained to the priesthood. Um, and then I have no idea what to expect from there. I do know that they'll place me in a, in, a, in a position within 70 miles of the house. I do not have to relocate. So that's a good thing. So I, I encourage anybody and everybody, and I, I've talked to some folks, and, and I've talked to a lot of folks, if, if you even feel the inkling of a call to something, you can ignore it. I promise you can try all you want, but it's going to come back to haunt you. So explore it. The lay track is awesome. The diaconate track is awesome. This is going to be the future of our church, and Bishop Doyle has talked about missional communities, and this is the way it's going to work. I mean, this is where we're going. So that's all I've got. I apologize. We couldn't get the slide projector to work, so all my funny, cute pictures you can come look at if you want to. They were kind of funny, but you know, that was much better than listening to me, I can promise. But I'll answer any questions or entertain thoughts, or I just appreciate Discovery weekends are four times a year, I think, maybe five, is what they're running. There's one in April, the one in, they just had one, there's one in April, there's one in the summer, maybe two in the fall. And it's a full weekend, and it's a Friday, kind of like the Iona weekends, a Friday to Sunday, and that kind of entertained that thought. So I appreciate it. I mean, I, I, I'm so thankful to, to Father Mike, but to everybody in this parish, to the discernment committee that I worked with. I mean, this is home, and this is the most difficult thing I've had to do is start backing out of the things that I enjoy doing and the people I get to spend time with, and it's tough. I mean, Lord, we're getting a new organ. I'm not going to miss out on that, too, but anyway, a little more therapy. I'll be fine, but anyway, I appreciate it, and uh, we'll just keep you in the loop as to how things go. Thanks a bunch.